Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. My conversation today is with Dorea Sommer, a registered dietitian with a spirit who owned her own catering business and loves being her own boss. My book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, is available for purchase at annelizabethrd.com, where you can catch up on my blog posts and everything Anne Elizabeth. As I have started to do these conversations, I decided when I travel, I would make it a priority to meet a dietitian from the city I am visiting. I recently traveled to New Orleans in October and had the great opportunity to meet Dorea. She graciously opened up her beautiful shotgun home to me and we had a great conversation on our comfy couch. Jarea has a fascinating career so far as a registered dietitian with her first job out of college in California, an internship and next career moves taking place in Boston and certain events happening in her personal life leading her to her current life and career in New Orleans. Find out how her catering business, Hurricane Katrina and Aubon Pan had a big part in her registered dietitian journey. Jarea lives by the mantra of not dreading Monday and has worked in or created jobs to fit this positive life goal. I hope you are inspired by her as much as I am. Please enjoy my conversation with Jarea. These questions are so easy. You, okay. you get to talk about yourself, so I hope that's okay. Okay. Oh, amazing. I know. I just like, I like the idea that, and I normally would never have done this, but I feel like I have done a lot being a dietitian without really knowing what you could do. And now there's even more stuff. Mm -hmm. So don't, you know, my thing is like, I love change and you never think that you can't do it because we know we can. You just look it up and use your resources and ask questions. I mean, you know, and so it's just been a really fun job. I've always wanted to be self-employed. And that's a great point, too, because... You really can. You can. And I think that's kind of where I would like to go, too. So I'm sure you'll be And that's, that's why I think it's interesting to talk to you today. So Yeah, it's I, been great. Well, so let, let's talk about where you got started. How did, how did dietetics come into your life when you wanted to go to school? What, where did that fit in? Well, it was... Um, I wanted to actually be a vet veterinarian. So when I was growing up, I rode horses and it was an agricultural town and was in 4-H and did all that. And then I realized I'm probably not smart enough to be a veterinarian (laughs) because there was only one vet school. But I ended up in undergrad, I was a biology major and I was sitting next to a woman that had a nutrition book. And that really was what it was. So I said, well, what is that? And started looking through it and went, well, I bet I could do that. And so I really didn't even know you had to do an internship. You didn't know any of those I other I didn't components. know. And all I knew really was a dietitian works in the hospital, but it was chemistry, biology, a little bit of teaching, and everybody eats. So I thought I knew I needed to get a job, do something that I could get a job with after college. So I transferred to University of California at Davis, which is a really good undergrad at dietetics program. Um, and I graduated there with my B.S., And I had a death in the family, so I got set back. I graduated in December. So the internship process, of course, back then was mail them out February. You find out in April. And so after I got my BS degree, I traveled a little bit with my family, and then I landed a job at California Youth Authority, even before I was a dietitian. Okay. Before I did the internship, even. And that was really interesting. I mean, it was uh, the, the it was juvenile penal system. And I did the menus and did the nutritional analysis. And that was a full-time job. That was a full-time job, which I needed because I had graduated in December. And then I did the internship process in February. But I knew I wasn't going to start until September. Mm-hmm. And my program started right after Labor Day. So that was an interesting full-time job, figuring it out. Um, I had a secretary, which was really bizarre. (laughs) I toured some of the penal systems into the kitchens. And I always liked production. I had catered a little bit when I was an undergrad. I had a small business. While you were going to school? While I was in college. You've always had a kind of a food. You always have had a love for food, obviously. I, I always loved baking. I was not the best cook, but I really loved baking. And I just liked 
quantity food production. I always enjoyed that. Um, I just liked that was the basics to me. Um, and I was never afraid to go into a kitchen, snoop around sanitation. That never bothered me, which I think is also unusual just because when I got to my program in Boston, I just packed up my car, um, drove across the country, um, got, you know, we had an apartment that I had arranged through the mail. And then that program was very, very intense. It was a 12 month and it was four solid months of clinical. So, before, so let's go back just one second. Sure. So in undergrad, you had your own business. You were right. doing catering yeah. on the side, mm-hmm. which was like a full, was it kind of like another well, full-time job? you know what? I would do it in the summer. Okay. So. And then during the school year, I mean, I worked my way through college, so I was always doing something. I worked in the university center doing, you know, administrative things. I did work for food services when they had catering special events. I would just be like the setup, the waitress, the tear down, you know, that. Um, because I just, you know, that's what I did. Was, I was always a good, you know, I knew to, I knew we had to work. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to have a ton of loans. Oh, smart idea. <laughs> and so, you know, and actually I didn't have any. In fact, I Brigham and Women's paid me. To go to their internship. Back in the day. That's wonderful. Yeah, I got a stipend. So you, so then you, you had that great opportunity to work during, before that, your internship. That was a blessing. Do you think that was beneficial? I think it was because um, I'd never had a real full-time show up at work. There's the secretary. This is what you need to do. Um, time management. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was administrative. There was really no clinical, but then I didn't have anything but my college degree at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and plus I needed the money mm-hmm. because, um, I just packed up and moved everything and I could afford my rent with the stipend and I could afford car insurance. And then I had like $30 left or something, <laughs> but, um, we got free food also at the Brigham. So that was a benefit. And the program was difficult and, um, well, I was very well trained, though. Opposite, completely yeah. opposite of the country. Yeah. So you packed up your car, mm-hmm. you went, you started your 12-month internship. And so talk to me, what, you said it's very intense. Well, so. it's it's Harvard, so it was like, it was really, yeah. I was kind of shocked that they even that they even picked me, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I had good work experience. But, my, you know, I didn't have a 4.0 by any means. But um, they had 16 interns. Eight started in July, right after the 4th of July, and then eight started in September, right after Labor Day. And so I got the notification in April that I'd been selected, and they gave me a choice. Did you want to come in July? Did you want to come in September? And I had gotten this job with Youth Authority, so I said, well, I'll come in September. So I literally, you know, took me about five days to drive across. I camped and um, visited. My brother was in... um, where was he? He was getting his PhD at that point. Stopped and visited, and then um, you know just got, went right into the program, and it was intense. It was, although incredibly good. How did I, you choose that program to apply for? East of the Mississippi. That's what you were looking mm-hmm. for. I had never been really. I'd been to Texas in the summer times, but I thought California. This is where everybody wants to go. This is where I'm from. Let me get out of here. I want to go somewhere different. I want to go somewhere different. How bad could it be? And I I also got into the Mayo Clinic. Um, And so I was like on the phone back then, you know, it was all phone calls and you got notification in the mail. And um, I just asked the woman, well, how cold does it get? Because (laughs) I didn't know what else to ask. She was delightful. And she goes, well, we have underground walkways. So you're like, and I really went cool. to Boston. <laughs> but um, I really loved Boston. I was there for a total of four years after I finished oh. my program. Um, actually, my car got stolen. It, it, so I During was, your internship? The day I finished. The day you finished? The day I oh, finished. Well, at least you got through the internship. At least I got through the internship. <laughs> and I moved because I had to move out of the apartment. The lease was up. So I found another place and I had physically moved. But this was like during the day. My car was on the middle of the street. Hmm. You could tell that somebody broke the window, blah, blah, blah. But... Horrible. Yeah, and so you'll never forget that day, probably. Well, no, no, no. But (laughs) you were like so excited to be done with your internship, and then your car got stolen. And actually, I was—I didn't know whether I was going to come back or go back to California at the point at that time, or was I going to stay in Boston? So I went. Well, I guess I'll look around and see what I can get. Recovered the car. 
and then it just had to be fixed. So that took about a month. But anyway, um, and I was hired at the time. I knew I didn't want to do acute care. So In what fact, was the focus of your internship? Then? It was very clinical. Very clinical. I was assuming it was very, very clinical. It was. We had a burn unit. Oh. So I did two weeks in the burn unit. What did you think of the burn unit? I did not dislike it. It was hard to see people in pain. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we were the food nag-nag, you know, the formulas you need 4,800 calories a day. Mm-hmm. So we would do enteral feedings overnight. But, you know, these high-calorie, high-protein milkshakes or eggnogs or puddings or, you know, ice cream sundaes. And it was just – but it was just – I remember the unit was – about it felt like it was about 80 or 85 degrees because they couldn't even put a sheet over some of the patients and it was just pain management anorexia incredible caloric protein requirements and I just really felt like you know it was math calculation and then it was just whatever it is that you want we'll try to get it for you whatever it is that appeals you know pushing the fluids and um, but it was a really good experience. I don't think a lot of dietitians get an experience. In the, I did. I actually did get a burn oh. unit experience. Not very many people do, so that's why I asked how you Well, did you it. enjoy yours? I, I kind of like you. It was just, you just kind of are grasping at straws to do anything to make them comfortable and, right. and it, get their nutrition. And yeah, it's, it's very heart-wrenching. It was very heart-wrenching. And then, of mm-hmm. course, it was a two-week span, so I never got to see them go home. Or what happened. Or what happened, exactly. you know, after that. But we also had a clinical research center. So they were doing metabolic research. And so that was a two-week rotation also. Wonderful. And then back then, they had a nutrition support team. So not just anybody did the enrol and the TPN. So we had a physician, a couple of physicians, a couple of nurses, and we rounded with them for two weeks. And there was this lovely dietitian. She was intimidating because she must have been brilliant to be on that team. And she was very statuesque. And very nice and so that was towards the end of the program because you needed to have a lot of background and even still you you know totally felt insecure about it but I was very well trained with all that and then we did the outpatient in the hospital Mm -hmm. and then um, I did do WIC and Head Start but then you knew after that acute care was not I knew within the first month you did yes So how did the job search go then? You said you got a job. I, I finished my program and was just kind of scouting around. I mean, there was a lot of dietetic interns in Boston. There was Mass General and there was the Deaconess. So competition. There was a lot of people looking. and so, But I knew I wanted to do something administrative more. And I f- applied for this job. It was for a company called Hillhaven, which at that time was a national chain of nursing homes, essentially. Okay. Now we like to call them long-term care. And um, the woman that hired me was also a Brigham graduate, and she sort of mentored me. And it was, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, you know, I went through about four days of training. And then she just said, here's your facilities, and these are the addresses, and this is the manager and the administrator. Oh, my goodness. But um, I didn't mind that, actually. And I lived in Boston so I, it was reverse commute, but I went North Shore, I went to Worcester, I went down to the South Shore, and I worked for them for 20 months, but she trained me very, very well. Everything was done in-house, the menus, the production sheets, the hiring, the education, the sanitation. They had monthly, well, about every six months, they'd have all the um, managers come in and we do group training, and it was a wonderful job. It was... You know, I got to do my administrative end and see the quantity of food and try to liberalize the diets and, you know, double desserts or whatever it was. <laughs> and, um, and it wasn't clinically that challenging. It's more so now the acuity is a lot higher than it was, you know, whenever this was 34 years ago. But once I, I was restless because I wanted to be self-employed. And then I realized, well, I can be. And so... I gave my notice and I started my little catering thing again. It was called True Concessions. And it was, I got a kitchen and I marketed, when you go to Boston, there's Route 128 and it goes around the periphery of the city and there's where all the businesses are. 
So I had the Is that idea. Where your business then? I had a kitchen, sort of, sort of centrally located, but that, that was my market base. Okay. So what I did is I was doing everything homemade, all my own baking. I did a lot of salads. I did spinach salads. I did homemade. Um, I think I did a curried chicken salad. I did a dill tuna salad. I had roast beef Yum. chicken. You know, whole grain bread that I picked up at the bakery. Fruit juices, no sodas. No soda. And um, <laughs> so how I marketed it was is I just drove around and I had chocolate chip cookies in my car and so I would go in and just say because you know the poor secretaries or administrators they're oh, constantly God. calling out or they're getting pizza and I thought why not and so I said not only will you give me you know I needed a day's notice but I will bring everything I will deliver it and I will set it up to the business if it's mm -hmm. wherever you tell me or... for luncheons for morning meetings and so all you have to do is call me you don't have to do anything else and I was just me, though. How did that go? That was, that was I mean, through rain, sleet, snow, and, you know, in my little, I had a Toyota hatchback. Uh, but no, it, but it, I loved it. I really, you know, and I, I was making a living, but not really. And then, you know, I remember one day I had to do three luncheons for like 80 people at three sites. And so I think I got there at five in the morning and I had, I don't know, I managed to do it, but it all fit in my car and... That's amazing. You know, it was like uh, I had ice chest, and so anyway, um, I had to make the decision because it was, it was growing, but I knew I couldn't do it. And then the worst thing, I don't like to manage people, so which I also knew about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, as long as I could do it, or I have a couple of people and they're just working with me, that would have been great. But I think I just was over it. I think I got it out of my system. I always wanted to do that. I had done it prior, and so I did it. I had the name. I had everything pulled together. And then I, at the same time, of course, I was doing independent consulting because I knew from my Hill Haven long-term care experience that I could be a private contractor. So as soon as I gave notice, my three- or four-week notice at the company that I was working full-time, I was getting the catering thing set up, and I was I was able to get a couple of buildings on my own, of course, that weren't Hillhaven buildings um, because they felt like they wanted staff RDs. And so I could do contract rate and do that. And then I was also doing whatever else I had to do to make Pay a living. Bills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was refinishing hardwood floors and just whatever. Oh, you were? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I, that's, you, I, so you're, you're handy too. <laughs> well, you know, you just do what you have to do. Sure. And I really, it was fine. And then after... Do you think it was fine because you were being an entrepreneur no matter what it was, but you were in charge and you were the I boss? think so. And I think I always wanted to work for myself, and I never wanted to dread Mondays. And I that's really what it has boiled been. down to for you. And I'm not saying I couldn't have been real happy in another career, but this one just worked out perfectly. And, you know, even when I was interviewing for this geriatric position, I had never had old people in my life. My grandparents, my father was Egyptian, they were gone. My mother's parents were gone. It's not like I grew up knowing my grandmothers and my great aunts or everything, so it was interesting, but I loved the population as soon as I went in. Now, visualize 34 years ago, not so pretty. And it's really come a long way. Well, and you're, we'll get to that, but you're still working in the I am. I'm totally, so I've, you've seen it evolve I've over seen the it last evolve, thank 30 goodness. years. Well, that's good. And it's an issue, and you know, I was trained to do it. So I've got that ger geriatric experience. That's probably the thing that I've done, obviously, the longest. Um, but, um, and I just still love it. That's it's amazing. quality of life. You're really quality of life because what else do they look forward to so and true. I've been fortunate because I have three contracts in New Orleans that are no there are no chains so I'm not micromanaged I um, have a very generous food budgets so we could do a lot of different things Great. with the Thanks menus the really good care good really good nursing and I've managed you know did take me probably about 15 years of being at these other buildings. When I moved here after being in San Francisco, I found there was a lot more job opportunities consulting. 
in this area. So, in this area. So let's back up. So you are you don't want the catering business in Boston, right? Did you, did you go back to San Francisco? Area? I ended up. My brother was getting his MBA at Stanford, and they were he was working with an Australian woman that wanted to sell Australian New Zealand Army Corps cookies. They're called Anzacs. And they're like a very well-known cookie in Australia and New Zealand. They were developed for World War One, incredibly long shelf life. They're um, very nutritious. They've got uh, sunflower seeds, um, oatmeal, whole grain flour, dried apricots. Sound, they sound delicious. And she was she had the recipe, and she was beautiful. She was from Melbourne, Australia. She had the accent, so she was the marketer. And my job was to get the cookie production into a quantity food production bakery. So at the beginning, when I, I left Boston, drove back, and her name was Christine, and we were literally going in at 8 o'clock to a bakery after the bakery hours were closed, and we would bake from 8 till midnight, the Trying two of us. get the recipe down. No, she got the recipe down. We would make 6 to 10 dozen every oh. night, and then we actually got them into Neiman Marcus. I mean, these were a high-end $3 cookie 25 hmm. years ago. They were a two-ounce portion. We would hand-dip them in white chocolate. Delicious. They sound delicious. Do you right. still make them? Well, <laughs> somewhere they do. Somewhere they do. Um, but it, so I got, I landed back in California four years after I left, right around Labor Day in 85, and started working with her, but of course had to have another real job. So I started again trying to get contract work, and I was able to get a building here or a building there, but again, incredibly competitive. And so I would work with her late afternoon and evenings, and then I also got a, I was I worked at a music recording studio. You know, I was I got a job there as receptionist. So, you know, I was just doing what I needed to do to live. And this was before Silicon Valley, where now it's like you, it's really sure. priced out. But again, I was home, my home state. I always fantasized about being back in San Francisco, so that was delightful. And then, unfortunately, the Anzac business folded after I'd been there six months. Mm. We were getting it into the bakery. They still had to be hand-formed because that's your production cost is sure. the labor. And we were working it, working it, and then she just, I think she went back to Australia. She just it was up. just like, oh, God. But now Aww. I, you know, so anyway. So I got a 32-hour-a-week position as a department, a dietary department manager in a small nursing home in downtown San Francisco. So I became like a real person in a real job. So that was the last <laughs> real job I probably really ever had. And how did that mean? I mean, like, how did you feel in that I, real I, person job, as you call it? Yeah, well, I was working for somebody, but I kind of was excited about it because I had worked with those people sort of under me when I was a consultant. So I got mm -hmm. it. But I really got it when I had to do it. You know, the staffing and the training and the scheduling and, you know, covering. And um, it was a real melting pot because it was San Francisco. So I had a, a gentleman from Thailand, a gentleman from China, African-American, Hispanic. Um, loved my staff. Um, it was a standalone building private pay. It was lovely care. I felt really good about that. But, of course, I got... Restless, restless and burned out as was what I do so I, I stuck that out for about 15 months and then um, had built up enough private practice again and I was pretty happy and then I met a man and he was moving to New Orleans and that's how you and got that's here. how I got here in 89 so I was in San Francisco for four years and he was actually in the Los Angeles area but he was a friend of a friend and so he goes we're moving there they wrote software they were at the beginning of three-dimensional computer modeling for chemists oh. so this is in the very early 80s his brother had done his uh, PhD thesis on this so he had a small business and his girlfriend got a residency at Charity Hospital in emergency room and that's one of the most challenging best ER residency because it's slice of life, New sure. Orleans. So um, it was a three-year commitment. I said, why not? So gave my notice, got in the car, and we drove here. And I fell in love with it. I finally found where I feel like I um, belong mm -hmm. after 
Every, um, after, you know, entry. seeing every, you know, trying to get around as best I can. And I've been here ever since the relationship didn't work out. They stayed here for the three years of the residency. There were eight of us that moved because the whole little company got picked up. Mm. And I'm the only one that liked it. And you're the only one that stayed. I'm the only one that stayed. So after the three years, they went to Santa Fe. I said, see you later. And I've been here ever since. Well, that was part of your journey then. You were meant to come here. I think I really was meant to come here. I really think I was. And then I, uh, when I moved here, I, of course, didn't have a job. He had the job. And then I got hired at Nichols State University to be an adjunct because their PhD was on sabbatical. And uh, I didn't even have a master's. They must have been desperate. (laughs) But I taught two semesters full time. You know, I taught, um, they had a really good uh, Bachelor of Science of Nursing program there. And of course, a four year dietetics degree. I was going to ask, they had a dietetics degree as well. They did, and I think there were 12 people. It was like amazing. It was amazing. I was like, no. So I would teach, you know, I'd have 90 people for basic nutrition, and, you know, 90% 90% of them were nurses, and I was always like, you know, you could be a dietitian. Then you just put the stuff in. You don't have to take the stuff out. You know, like, think about how much more fun that would be. You know, and then you make friends because we'll get you the food we'll or whatever. We'll food, yes. But that's when I found out I really wanted to teach. So I thought this was going to ask. So is, you liked the teaching aspect. I loved it. So you're still that entrepreneur were you still looking at well, maybe was, doing some of that here at the time or were you focused more on teaching well I was time? focused I did it full time because I we moved here in July and I started working like five weeks later full time the second semester and I was driving I mean New Orleans to the campus it took me an hour and 15 minutes wow, it's down what we call down the bayou it's like south of here so I was still living in the quarter and I would drive there every morning and the second semester I finagled it so that I had Friday off so I had I said look can we do Tuesday Thursday Monday Wednesday and they said okay so and then I started contracting on that Friday met other consultants and then the academic year ended and I was able to get a part-time job doing outpatient and we did an uh, eight-week nutrition class at night, um, which I taught. Um, I was the RD, and it was an outpatient. It was a doctor's clinic. And then we did have a protein-sparing modified fast program, which a little ethically conflicted. But I, I did it because they paid in for maintenance. And so I felt like, okay, I know this is a quick fix, but we're going to train you to what happens after the six weeks of this. And, of course... Uh, we had a lot of backslide, and it was pre-lap banding, and it was pre-bypass. So it was like, you know, whatever, it's 600 calories a day. Low calorie. Very. The shakes. Mm-hmm. Physician monitored. So I'd get to see the labs, and, you know, it was like, I was always constantly <laughs> nagging them. But the truth was is you re- they really needed a psychologist. Sure. I mean, we know that now. Sure. And I was like, God, I wish I could fix everything, but all I can tell you is, this is a portion of grapes, you know, or whatever, you know, and this is, you need to eat this often. And so I did that. And then I also was doing acute care coverage at the same time that at you the same time. Were so, doing that. yeah. So I was the three days at Brown, what was Brown McCarty worked th- three days a week. And then, um, I've always worked more than full time. <laughs> you work a lot. I've always worked a lot. Um, and I've never minded it because, I was raised to work really hard. I love working. Um, I love what I do. That's so the love point. I do. love what I do, and I don't dread Mondays. That's that's some key points right there. Right, and so what happened? And that's when I decided to get my master's. <laughs> so you're working three <laughs> jobs, and you're you're going to go back, and you got your well, your master's. I went back to Tulane University because they had a master's in public health, and they you could tr- you could pick your tract so of course I went nutrition but they also had epidemiology international health um they had child maternal health so I anyway I did nutrition because I needed a nutrition master so that I could teach and be at a more of a university right and I really liked it I mean the classes that I liked the best were um epidemiology and biostatistics and it was like this these classes I had never had before um and I was able to waive probably a semester's worth because I was already an RD, so I didn't have to take the clinical oh, well, that's, and the that dietherapy. So the the PhD dietitian who was over the somewhat over that track was work, worked with me. So saved me a chunk of change and saved me you a lot of time. And- I got well I was doing it part time because I was working. 
but I had a flexible schedule. So I could take day classes or night classes, and I really enjoyed it. And then I got my master's in 1994, and then I instantly started teaching. I actually taught at Tulane. They hired me to teach the undergraduate. Well, back then, they had an internship program that was hooked with a master's degree. Mm -hmm. Which is what they're going to now. Which is what they're going back to, (laughs) which is so interesting. Mm -hmm. And so those eight people needed diet therapy, pathophysiology, and clinical nutrition. And so I became an adjunct there and taught. And then I preceptored them during the internship. Internship. And then I also started teaching at... um, a BSN nursing school that home headquartered in Mississippi, but they had a New Orleans campus. Did that for ten years. It was twenty-three chapters in ten weeks. Holy it was basic nutrition and diet therapy, and that was the only classes that these students would get. Wow! So it was a strict. It was three and a half hour lecture, and I would do it once a week. That's an intense class. It was very intense, and I tried to make it as entertaining as I could. But I just, you know, <laughs> even back then, it's a long stretch, and you know, <laughs> trying to keep them awake, and and I think, you know, nurses, it just seems like they really hated that class. They really did hate that class. And I taught adjunct for a while. Did you? I did, and I had mostly nurses too, and I don't they get just it. were checked out all the time. But I taught a three and a half hour class. Good for so you. So I know exactly how it, you feel about trying to keep them entertained. Keep them entertained. And I was mean, man. I was like, <laughs> because I you know what it was? Remember, I mean, I had worked at um, this private hospital doing coverage. There was a small boutique hospital right near where I was doing my outpatient. And they had one dietitian. So she gets ill or she has a baby, I would cover for her. So I'd cram that in, too. And we know nurses can give nutrition advice, Mm -hmm. and we know that sometimes it's not accurate. Mm -hmm. And I never forgot that. So when I was teaching, I'm like, I will never walk down the hall and see you telling somebody weird crap the about... The wrong information. You know, don't eat grapes and, you know, orange juice pounded down. You know what I mean? So uh, so I was mean, and I told them that from the get-go. Like, I mean, you know, you paid a lot of money. You're going to learn this crap. You're going to learn the exchange list. And you're going to learn it correctly. And you're going to learn it correctly. And I, you know, <laughs> the TPN calculations, I taught them that. I'm like, it's just algebra. 50% of you are going to miss this. But you can do it. It's just algebra. And, you know, 50% of them missed it every single exam. Wow. It was just, they just, it was, and I kept thinking, how are they going to calculate IV rates? Well, that's just it. (laughs) And they're very similar. Anyway, so (laughs) I got burned out. Sure. Well, from your experience, I mean, that would get, that would be very, very exhausting to some point. So after you got burned out on that. Yeah. So then I started doing dialysis. I had a friend. Which who, is completely on another Yeah, and <laughs> what dietitian wants to work in Not dialysis? Nobody do. wants to do it, but I'm telling you, that's a fun job. You enjoyed it. I Well, I was, was horrified because I thought I was going to kill them because I really didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, when you learn all that stuff, you really... It's scary. It's very scary, but then if you just step back and go, well, what's the priority here? Mm. And... The interesting thing was, is I did, I didn't do hemodialysis. I always did peritoneal. Oh. Because there was uh, a few nephrologists that I was able to hook up with. The dietitian friend that got me the position had been doing hemo, and she didn't want to do PD. But Most he, people don't. he was committed. I mean, we had 40, this is in 1992. I actually got this job while I was in my master's program and we had 45 pd patients and i would see eight to ten of them every thursday that's intense it was very intense and i was not really trained that well i mean i think i spent a day with her and peritoneal is it was creepy and although low and slow i mean back in the day they were doing site they would do the manual exchanges during the day now we cycle overnight Mm -hmm. okay and so but I loved it because it was like you got a relationship. And, you know, th- most of them actually would listen, and then they would come at the next month, and i go, well, look, you know, your phosphorus is in line now. Wow, your protein went up. Your albumin went up. This is excellent. And how, you know, how do you feel? And, um, and so I've been doing that ever since. Really I started it that. in 93. I think I did it for six years. And then I, start, I did PACE. 
the program for all-inclusive care of the elderly. I have not heard of this. It's an alternative to long-term care where it's a national program that actually started in San Francisco in the 70s in Chinatown because Asian, Chinese, Japanese immigrated and came to the Bay Area and the elderly were getting older and the state of California for Medicaid oh, said, sure. okay, well, nursing home. And they were like, that's not, in our, that's not what we believe. We want to keep them at home. And so the state of California said, come up with a program. And they came up with program for all-inclusive care of the elderly called PACE. And it was downtown San Francisco on Bush Street. And I knew about it because I was from California. I knew mm-hmm. about it when I was working in the city. Um, but they finally have, they've been the Northeast. They've expanded. And finally, in 05, the Archdiocese, which is a huge oh, monitoring of programs for low income, you know, homeless, you name it, the Archdiocese does it. And they do have group homes also, and they do also adult day health care. The Archdiocese mm-hmm. funded the program, and so the first PACE unit was opening about five miles from here, September of 2005. I was hired in February, and so PACE um, had all the programs because they'd been around for, you know, 30 years time. at this point, and it basically it's the perfect model for geriatrics. It requires you to go to the site. The PACE organization capitates the insurance, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, private. We capitate it. You see our doctors. You see our nurse practitioners. The PACE site provides a hot lunch. There's a nurse practitioner 40 hours a week. There's podiatrists that show up there. There's a physician that's there 20 hours a week. There's optometry provided, STOT and PT. It's a nursing home without beds. It's a wonderful program. The implication is that they have to have some supervision at night. And on weekends, paces Monday through Friday, closed holidays. It's like a school schedule. Okay. Um, and it's just delightful. So basically, the PACE participants are going to be higher functioning, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but we there was a lot of liaison from the family. Like, in some cases, New Orleans is a very much family-oriented, neighborhood-oriented. And so sometimes the responsible party wouldn't even be a blood relative. We'd have a 78-year-old woman that had had a CVA. Um, There was a grandson and a granddaughter that lived down the street. But there were also the neighbor kids that she had helped raise that had then moved into their parents' house when their parents passed. And sometimes that was the responsible party for, you know, what the nickname would be nanny or whatever because (laughs) they all grew up together. It was delightful. But... Um, the PACE site was a decommissioned Catholic church that they renovated. We were going to be able to house 150-day participants. We did require them to come to the unit. Once a day, we provide transportation. We picked them up. We drove them home. We would take them to dialysis if that was what they were requiring. We, we had contracts with respite long-term care. Or, God forbid, they break the hip. We would pay for them to have the surgery, and then we would pay the nursing home to rehab them. And Pace also would rehab when they were able to go back to their independent living. But we were going to open September 3rd, 2005, and Katrina came. Oh, shit. So, and that was probably my favorite job that I had ever had. And I would have worked there full time. Amazingly, the site was not damaged. But the Lower Ninth Ward is where our population came from. And then Lower Ninth Ward is what was on the news. That whole area flooded 100,000 houses. So our population got wiped out. And so the program never happened? The program opened. It took, um, I think, two... And I lost 30% of my work from Katrina. Um, I got a call from the medical director in 2007. And he said, Drea, you're still in town. I said, yes. He goes, we're going to reopen PACE. So I went back um, to the same site. And the only, I mean, it was really difficult because I was the only, there, I, there was myself and a van driver from the original team of 30 people. That was hired. 
and the original, what I what I jokingly called Pace One because it never opened. <laughs> It was a wonderful, wonderful team of people, very committed, long-term care. Um, I knew the music therapist that was going to be there. I knew the mm. therapist. I knew the nurse practitioner. She was excellent. The medical director was a delightful gentleman. Um, the physicians, I mean, it was just the best situation. I was totally invested. And that would I would still be at Pace. So they did Pace too. So I went back and redid the entire thing because we had to get inspected by um, the PACE organization, the Adult Day Healthcare Program. They, we had to be um, certified by them. And then we also had to be, the state came in because it was also considered long-term care. So we had to go through three surveys all over again. And that takes a lot of time. It did take a lot of time, but I think I got called maybe April of 07, and we were open by October because we, we knew how to do it, essentially. It. Mm-hmm. And it was the same site, so that it was up to code. Um, but the people that became the CEO and the COO and the medical director, my friend, the medical director, had come back. And then he lasted a year, and I lasted 18 months. I couldn't work with those people. I'm so it's sorry to say. It was just not. The the hierarchy was such that they were d- recruited from a for-profit hospital chain and placed into a not-for-profit geriatric long-term care situation. And it was numbers. They wanted the numbers. And when you admit to some, when you're admitting a geriatric person to that kind of a program, it's all about the family Mm -hmm. support. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we had concerns and we would be ultimately responsible for whatever happened to that person. Of course. Um, But again, never forget about pace. It's just a viable option um, to long-term care. So nursing home without beds, everything that you get in long-term care, you get a pace. So you, st- so again, that long-term care is that's always why kind of I fell in into it. Of your, it's one of your passions. It is, well, it is. That's the one consistent. And I will always do it. I just, I, and the joke is, as you know, perhaps that we work in the field to make it better when we get there. Well, absolutely. And that's <laughs> you know, and I've just totally. I mean, it's just been a tremendously hard situation to figure out because I mean I think long-term care started in the 70s before then you had a heart attack and you actually died Mm -hmm. or you had 10 kids and three of them liked you and so you you know somebody (laughs) would step up (laughs) but you know totally that's totally shifted now I I go to long-term care buildings that are private pay that it's ten thousand dollars a month for that individual client to stay in the ten thousand dollars a month that's and then right. I work at the normal one that will take, you know, Medicare when you're skilled, but Medicaid, and they get reimbursed, what is it, $90 a day. Yeah. And yet we do the food and we do the care. Um, and I've just, I'm, you know, committed, but I'm really enjoying the dialysis. I mean, so you're I really still like doing that. the long-term care, so you're still consulting. I'm still, I have three currently. nursing homes that I consult in, and I do, I've also done group homes okay. for the development of disabled. I've also consulted in Alzheimer's group homes, which is a wonderful concept. It's a very, very good concept. Mm-hmm. Excellent concept. And that actually is an alternate for long-term care where you'll, and you know, they're all over. Do you, is there a lot of, is there a lot of those facilities in this there, area? More and more and more, more in New Orleans, there's more and more and more. The one woman that was really spearheading it I met her through the long-term care probably in the late 90s she was cutting edge in the research for that and she was a nurse by training I believe she has now left the state but I worked at all of her homes did all the menu writing I would go there about every three months for sanitation um you know, checking on the residents. Mm-hmm. There, there was no regs for a dietitian, just only that we had to sign the menu off. Mm-hmm. And it was just lovely. So it was like a home environment, obviously, private bedrooms, and the kitchens were made safe, and they had 24-7 staff, and it was like the CNA was also sometimes doing the meal prep, sure. also doing the activities, driving the van. It was delightful. So so that's I, that's another great aspect about long-term care right. that probably a lot of dietitians don't know exists. Group homes. As well and as assisted living. Homes. They're tightening down because I've seen assisted living is also a wonderful concept. No federal funds. It's out of pocket. All, yeah, all out of pocket. And if you have the money, 
you want to stay in assisted as long as you possibly can because you don't want to go to that nursing home. Mm -hmm. So now we have CCRs, continuing care retirement communities, and I work at one of those right now where we have independent apartments for 10 to 12 people. Oh, I think the nurse, it's on the campus. So mm -hmm. I think um, we do provide supper, the night meal, but they don't have to get it. And then they have little uh, galley kitchens in their little apartment. And then I think we check on them in the morning to make sure they're alive. But they're independent. They live on the campus. And then we have assisted living. And the problem I'm seeing with assisted living is the participant nor the family wants to make that decision to go to skilled. Mm -hmm. So they're going to start really cracking down, I think, on the regs for assisted because the sentinel event happens. And it probably happens three months after they probably should have moved. So I think that that's getting, and I think shifting. it's also a responsibility for the management when somebody goes into assisted that they're really didactic and go, this is what you have to do or you cannot stay. Well, and you probably play an important role in that too I as really, well. I should. But you I don't. Mean, I don't because I see, I'll go to the assisted living, so they all eat together. This one facility that, I'm, that I go to every single Thursday, all day, is they've got the skill. They also have a locked Alzheimer's. Okay. okay, so now we're seeing everything full circle. So they have assisted living that's 33 people. So they actually have a locked assisted living for dementia care. So they have that dining room. And then the other two floors of the building, those, I guess, assisted living participants come to another dining room. So I cruise around. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's always like, oh, you know, somebody burned the meatloaf. I mean, we're the assisted living population is more about, sure. you know, whoever cooked that soup needs to be fired, you know, or, <laughs> you know, how dare you? This is ugly on the plate, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me see what I can do, you know? So assisted living still, but I will go do individual consultations I was gonna ask, upon that request. Part and it's, sure. it's a social worker, you know, and I've been at this building for over 10 years. So I just kind of cruise. You know, And yeah, all everyone. the nurses, I always, when you're a consultant, you go right away to the DON when you walk in you go to the food the, the dietary manager which yay everybody has to be a CDM now mm. hallelujah I know that is a very good thing that's a very good thing <laughs> very good thing um, and you know so I just am told about What's going so on? it's really that as you know you know you have to be the the person that can smooth the feathers of everybody sure. and nod and smile a lot and, but like that's, I said, when the meatloaf gets burnt, you just... I'm so sorry. I'm so Shame sorry. on them. I'll make sure that doesn't happen yes, again. Yes, we'll, we'll catch up on it next time. <laughs> but um, I know, and so that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing with consulting is you have no job security. Because you just never know when you're going to have a one place month, or not. It one month written notice. That's all they have to give you that's it. to let you know. And so you've seen a lot of different... You've been in and out of a lot of different And facilities. I've been let go more often. I'm glad to say more often I've made the decision to leave. I mean, I have ethical... I mean, if I think something's not, I was in a long-term care building where they were backdating to capture Medicare oh, funding. Oh. And I was filling in. And, and would the RN tell me backdate? Not that way. No. But alluded. And so I went to the administrator and I said, they're telling me to do this. And, that goes and he goes, no, they're not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it should go against everybody's well, code of ethics. Yeah, and but. I said, yes, they are, and I can name the names. I'm not going to make that up. And he goes, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, obviously, but they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I was fired two months later. Because you just weren't going I, along with the system. I Which guess. is probably a, a good thing. But that's I interesting guess. for maybe future dietitians that might go into this type of job that those are things that can happen right and that it isn't as all rose colored glasses as you may think right and there's a lot of um you really i mean personally i prefer not-for-profit um religious-based if you can because you know you hope that that's going to make them a little bit more ethical um and i have worked for chains obviously that's how i got my start what i'm seeing at least in this geographical area is more um buildings are going to one dietitian and she'll subcontract which is i understand how a lot of people get their start and i've often hired people to help me when something's come in um, but I take them with me and I pay them what I pay, what I get paid. But I know the standard protocol is, you know, you could bill at 60 and you pay them 38 
I, I, I just would never do that. I mean, number one, I'm not going to hire them unless they're going to do as good a job as I'm going to do, and I'm going to pay them what I get paid. And so I've never done that thing where I've had the opportunity to probably have people, two or three people under me, but I just, I don't like to manage people. <laughs> going back to that, <laughs> going back to the entrepreneurial that. spirit. Yes. I know that. I so like, you're currently doing your long-term care contracting yes. and then you are also still teaching. I'm not teaching you're not currently, teaching anymore. but okay. I'm doing my peritoneal dialysis clinics, okay, which so I'm there five, so which I love. So how many peritoneals do you have now? Like you said, you had 42. That was way long. Now I have, I think our census is right at 30, um, but, and long. I'm underemployed, which has always creeped me out. <laughs> you know, you struggle and you, you know, you panic. And as I've gotten older, I just figure things happen. You know, if I get let go, I spread the word and something will come. So I'm underemployed currently, but I'm going to be doing uh, maternity coverage for the full-time hemo RD. Okay. which I'll just cram it in. You know, I know I opened that unit. I've done hemo. Mm -hmm. And I actually still know a lot of those patients on that side. So I'll just, um, you know, work a lot for those three months until she comes back. Which you're fine with. Which you, I'm totally you're fine great with. with. That. <laughs> I can do it. Um, I'll just work 10, 12-hour days because you can in dialysis. They Absolutely. get on at 6.30 and they're there till 5, three shifts. Mm -hmm. So that's the other, other wonderful thing about uh, long-term care. It's open seven days a week. So if you need to take a day, you can make it up on Saturday, or you can work a really long day. That's a really good point. And it's been, I mean, I had my daughter, I was a single mother, I was self-employed, and I went back to work 10 days and took her with me. Because <laughs> you could, and they I would love, her, to see you, love to see her. I had, you know, I had these lovely administrators that would just walk around with the baby, you know, <laughs> and I took her to my PD dialysis, and some of those ladies still remember her. And I would just set, them in, I'd set her in their lap. Well, it's interesting that you make that, you say that because I think like in those situations of working in long-term care and dialysis, you build a family relationship with these clients. I do with mostly the administration. And you know what? Who doesn't love a baby? Who doesn't love a baby sure. or a puppy <laughs> a or a dog in long-term care? I mean, it's the babies. And so it, I was very lucky because I didn't have any family support. My, mo my mother flew out from California for a while. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. But, you know, I wanted to keep her out of daycare as long as I possibly could, but I really I was lucky. I took her around with me. And, you know, it just worked itself out. And, you know, I'd have her in their stroller. And I'll never forget the dialysis days because that was 20% uh, of my job at that time. And so I had the stroller and I'd breastfeed and, you know. You and multitasking I was working. Multi and, and, you know, those, right these little there. elderly ladies would come in and go, oh, the baby. You know, the men, not as much. No. But, uh, um it worked out. It's worked out beautifully. And I've, you know, I've just loved everything. Do it's you, been a good career. So do you career. feel like today, yeah, it's like, so it kind of sounds like you really are truly living out your passion as a dietitian. I really am. I really am. I'm, but I'm going to tell you one story, which I, you know how there's like, a t there's several, the, the roads divert. Well, do you know the company Au Bon Pain? Yes. Well, that started in Boston. And it started in Boston the year I got out of my internship. And I interviewed for them, where they had like six people for the company. Wow. And back in 82, they were doing, they gave me a psychological test. They made me go work at the site. They offered me the job. I said, I just finished this dietetic internship. I sweated blood for this. Could you please pay my dues? And they said no. Your dues for your like registration. That's all I, my registration dues. And you know, if I had been more mature, I could have marketed. You're going to need a dietitian because you know they got them now, and I would have sure. been like the eighth person hired. So how do you feel about that? Leaning well, back to that, you know, it was it would have been perfect. It was quantity food production. It was, it was exactly good. It was like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm back to making the chocolate chip cookies out of my kitchen. I, you know, it whatever. I mean, because I, you're here now. I'm here now and. That was the decision because literally I got both job offers the same day and the salaries were commiserate, full-time, Boston. And, you know, I just went with because they didn't understand what I could do. Sure. And the Hillhaven, the woman that had also done the internship at the Brigham, uh, I just went, I really sweated blood to get this. And 
I could have used it, but I really did use it. And that's, I made that one decision and that changed the whole everything. What it, that's, and that is such a, that's a great thing to bring up, I think, because first of all, you stood for your principles yeah. when it came to, like, you're like, I need this right. to further my career. But it also seems like it really did lead you to it, the path it to was perfect. long-term care and being an entrepreneur and doing your own thing over the past how many years? And I mean, yeah, it was perfect. And you know, I've never, I've never, I've always tried to never have regrets. I feel like I can overthink decisions like, should I take this contract? I don't feel there's something weird about it, or is there something weird about the administrator? Or, you know, I've heard something, and so I, I've learned to trust your gut about doing things or taking on situations that seem not right. And you know, there's a lot of creepy crap that goes on Mm -hmm. we know everywhere um and you know i don't believe that creepy crap should go on where people's lives are at stake but um i usually will you know make a decision and i never look back because something it's i and i love change i love change that is you're very inspirational i do have to say (laughs) it's so good to talk to people about just your story is amazing and like one decision like you said can lead you down an amazing path and it's good to review it and talk about it. And yeah, and it's, you know, it's just you can do whatever you want to do. And I, I mean, I don't, I think now, I mean, I'm going to, I never really want to retire. I mean, I can always, you know, I'm underemployed right now and then I can pick something up. But I think the traveling, I think somebody should make up, do a business for traveling dietitians. You know how they travel nurses? Yes, yes. They- there, there's some starting to kind of come really? up that way. Now, that mm-hmm. would be fun. Arias Medical Group is a group that's kind of starting to do some contract traveling dietitians. So. I think that would be the next That could thing. be your next That could be my next I was going to ask, what is in the future for you? What do you see yourself doing when you, when you get farther into your career? Uh, I don't know. I think I've done pretty much... I mean, I still kind of have that yen to develop some kind of nutritional supplement for geriatric populations. You know, because everybody's yeah. doing the high cow, the med pass. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking peanut butter ball, you know, Ooh. or something that they could eat that looked like real food and tasted good. That well, had ten grams of protein per serving, <laughs> high biological value, or some. You know, I just or like some. I just I don't know, because I I still. I mean, I could do a bakery. I don't know. Exactly. Well, you could do a bakery that incorporated that into it too. Right, or you something. I just love that still. Well, I hope whatever you do that you keep me updated because I want to know what you what you're doing because it sounds like there's lots of possibilities for you and yeah. you're a go getter and you're you're gonna do it. I'm you gonna do, do it. it. You're if just you want to do it, it. You, just, you just do it. You just do it and don't get scared. I mean, and and now I mean now I've preceptor because there's one internship, unfortunately, just the one in New Orleans. It's Tulane. It's a wonderful internship, by the way. Um, very very public health oriented. And I've been preceptoring for that program for 15 years. I do. I have them for a week in long-term care, and then they they do a week in dialysis. So if the schedules work up, I always take them to the PD clinic, and they really like that. And so it's like I just tell them you can do whatever you want. Don't think you know the hospital experience. Yes, you have to have 12 months before you can be a dialysis dietitian. But it's job security to work with the elderly, and it's job security to work in dialysis because kidneys don't grow on trees. <laughs> they do not. Especially in the South so where true. people have hypertension oh, and don't sure. take their insulin. Sure. It's well, that's great that you're a preceptor, too, because there's not enough of preceptors yeah, out in this I world. I know. I feel like somebody has to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody did it for me. Yes. And that's how I'm a preceptor as well. So Good. I relate with you, and I think that's very important for and our career. Just tell them to be cheerful. Be happy. I always tell them to have fun. I'm like, I want you to have fun, but I want you to learn, but I want you to have fun. Perfect. I bet you're just perfect at that. <laughs> I'm sure they love you. I hope. Sometimes I wonder, but I think it's been a good experience. I think they would love to be with you, too, just because your energy is contagious. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And they like, you know, they like the fact that, that I get around, and I'm like, yeah, I get around, and you can get around. Sure. I mean, you don't have to go to the same place and get sucked into the gossip and the people that don't work as hard as you do and the people that bitch. We mm-hmm. don't want that. No, no, exactly. So. There's enough things in life that <laughs> you don't need that on top of it. Right. <laughs> I know. You don't want to dread Monday. No. I want to remember that. I like, I think that's a great point. And you don't want to, I never wanted to work for somebody I didn't respect. That's a very good point too. So it's a, it's a wonderful career. 
I mean, it's just been, I mean, it's probably even more wonderful right now. I mean, I'm sure there's 30 things I don't even know that you can do being an RD now. I know wellness is a big thing. Yay. And really, mm-hmm. we, we, we teach. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. All along the way. All along the way. Yeah. And it's a modifiable risk factor. <laughs> it is. We can, and that's what, why we do what we do. That's why you didn't become a veterinarian. Well, I still would have loved Loved that. it. But, you know, I don't, again, I'm sure I wouldn't have gotten into vet school. Um, well, so. I have some fun questions for oh, you. Okay. So these are just whatever comes to mind for you. What's your favorite food? Shrimp ramelade. Ooh. Mm. Do you have a great recipe for yes, that? Yes, it's very easy. Four ingredients. You might have to email that to me. Yes. No, and I like, of course, um, chocolate cake. Chocolate cake. And I love raw oysters. Do you? I love raw oysters, yes. We're in a good place for that. Yes. Is there a raw oyster festival too? In yes, New of course there's an oyster fest. <laughs> it's coming up. There's a gumbo fest next week. Oh my gosh. There's something to do all the time. Right. There's gumbo competing with the barbecue and blues fest. Ooh, ooh. That sounds... So yeah, that's going to be tough. <laughs> <sighs> What's your least favorite food? Well, I don't eat meat. I'm a vegetarian. Oh, And I've been one probably since I was 20. So yeah, I know. I, so I just don't get it. But you do seafood? Yes, yes. That, which is kind of vegetarian light. Light. <laughs> but I figure if they have a chance to get away if you eat them. So it's not like they're you know, mass produced. But yeah, so I don't, I will taste it as part of my work. And I think most of my accounts don't know that I... For menu planning. And- right, and I don't think, uh, it's not something that I ever tell them. I will taste the Scalapini if it's a new recipe, of course, and then... You just do it. Because, and then you just, it's part of yeah, your job. And then I just hope I don't get GI distress. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> but yeah, so that's it. But I used to love liver, actually. Grew up eating fried liver and onions, and I have nothing against that. It's just a, a really, personal choice that you've made. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 And, um, when I was in college, yeah. Well, good for you. That's yeah. great. What's your favorite drink? Champagne. Champagne. Yes. Real champagne. Right? Real champagne. <laughs> so I have to bill a high rate to get to afford <laughs> to, to help with the champagne cocktails. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love that. And coffee. Dark roast coffee. Dark roast coffee. Is there a certain brand that you like? Um, well, here, there's dark roast coffee. Yes. Um, or French roast. French you roast. You know, like I, when I lived in San Francisco, it was Grafeo coffee. It was delicious. Hmm. But anyway. And then Boston... I don't know. They used to have weird. It was like you'd ask for a coffee and they'd instantly put sugar and cream in it. Oh, I that was like a coffee. That. So you'd have to specify no sugar, no black coffee. coffee. Hmm. But if you just said co- I mean, it was weird. If you said coffee, they put cream and sugar in it. I wonder if they still do that. I'll see that. I wonder when I if go. they still do that. I'll I know because it was sure. like it took me like a month to figure that out. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't order with that. <laughs> I know. But anyway, what's your favorite drink? Uh, my favorite drink, I would say, I really enjoy vodka. I have a special place in my heart for that also. <laughs> yes. Very good for a cocktail, for a cocktail yes. drink. But and then water. I am a big water drinker. Yes. That's about that's about my two and I combine the two. Oh, that's <laughs> a, water. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then you're hydrating. Yes. And you can yes. put a little orange juice in it exactly. occasionally. A lemon line twist. There mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> What's your least favorite drink? Sodas. Soda. Yeah. Never really. been a soda person. And I never really drank juice. I don't, I never really was a juice. And growing up, we had four ounces at breakfast and that was it. And then we never had soft That's drinks. That's good portion size from your... My mom. She was... My mom's mother was a public health nurse. Okay. Well, see, there it all mm-hmm. comes. It's in your family. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And it was, I don't know. I just, I don't get the juice thing. I, I mean, I'd either. rather eat. I love the fruit. I do too. I'd rather eat the fruit. Yeah, me too. Way over as, as as dietitians, we should. Yes, absolutely. We should practice yes. that. What's your favorite smell? Mm. Lavender. Lavender. Yeah, I like that. What's your least favorite? And garlic. Smell? Garlic. Yes. You cook a lot with garlic. I do. do garlic you? and onions. Good combination. Definitely. They've got to be good for you. What's your least favorite smell? Um, probably hamburgers grilling. Hamburgers grilling. Yeah. Back to that meat thing again. It's weird. I love the smell of fried chicken. And I actually like the smell of bacon, which is the worst. But, I mean, I just love the smell of it. That doesn't bother me. But hamburgers or steaks on the grill. It That's just, not your thing. Yeah, it yeah. just really makes me nauseous, sort of. Do you have a guilty pleasure when it comes to food? 
um, peanut M and M, anything sweet, anything donuts, sweet. You like sweet. peanut M and M's. Well, beignets, beignets. You just had. Oh went man, to the I today. did. I had okay. <laughs> I had a fried oyster beignet. So the oyster was on the inside. Yes, and it was oh. it was fried beautifully. Huh. It was delicious. It was delicious. Then, I'm you know, trying to picture this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just, and then they had uh, crawfish beignets, shrimp beignets, and then the traditional beignets. But I'm trying to tone that down a little bit. I've been better at that. When I first moved here, I think I gained 10 beignet pounds. It's <laughs> just from beignets. Yeah, because I didn't have that job. I didn't have a job for a month, That's and I was true. like depressed. So I just walked down there. <laughs> so you went to coffee and beignets. I was a regular. And... You get three of them, you know? It was like bad. But yeah. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you today. And oh. thank you so much for taking time and sharing your story. And I think a lot of registered dietitians will love to hear your story. Oh, so well, thank, thank you. you. It was my pleasure. I felt like I talked your ear off. No, all. I love that's that's what this is all about, is telling your story. And that's what I yeah, want. Well, you should tell yours. To share. I will. I will someday. Okay. <laughs> There's probably a little bit in my book that I can that you can read about. But oh, I would love yeah, to. Yes. Well, good. I would love that. Yes. Okay. I will mail that off to you. Okay, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much today. That was, how easy was that? Well, it was kind of, yeah, it was, it's been a fun life. I I think it sounds like you've had just a lot of fun. I have no fun. regrets. Yeah. And it's a wonderful, wonderful place to land. I absolutely loved meeting and getting to know Dorea. I hope we cross paths again, and I hope she was an inspiration to you. I cannot wait to see what she does next in her journey. Please go to AnnaElizabethArty.com, where my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, is available for purchase, and you can find all the show notes and links to things we talked about, and connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, at AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and start a conversation that truly matters.